Money Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, October 27th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. A federal high court in Nigeria says the government violated the rights of Biafran leader Nandi Kanu when it abducted him last year from Kenya. We are calling on the United States of America. We are calling on all superpowers to immediately intervene to ensure that Sudan can be released unconditionally and now. A Sudanese protester is killed in coup anniversary demonstration against military rule. Zimbabwe launches a safety campaign to curb rising mining deaths. Botswana urges its neighbors to do more to fight the spread of foot and mouth disease. We speak with a candidate of Liberia descent who is running for re-election in the November 8 U.S. midterm elections. Kenya and Spain agreed to improve trade ties. Kenya will be the gateway and we will work together so that Spain can find its way into our continent and we can grow those relations on the basis of mutual respect. And our eighth of ten profiles from the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for the continent's startups. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. For Namdi Kanu, the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra, IPOB, is calling on the international community to prevail on Nigeria's government for Kanu's unconditional release from further detention. This after a federal high court in the Abia state capital of Mwaya ruled on Wednesday that the government violated Kanu's rights when it abducted him last year from Kenya. The court ordered the government to pay Kanu 500 million naira a little over $1 million U.S. dollars. Authorities accused Kanu and his IPOP organization of terrorism for calling for an independent state for ethnic Igbos in southeastern Nigeria. About two weeks ago, an appeals court acquitted Kanu of all charges. His lawyer, Efianyi Ejiofo, tells me that the consecutive court rulings prove that the Nigerian government violated international laws to which it is a party. In line with the decision of the court of appeal, Delivered on 13th of October 2022, the court also concurred and also found that Mazen Namikano's fundamental right was also violated. In view of the fact that his rights were violated and the external addition, the abduction and the external addition to Nigeria has been held illegal, the court also directed that it should be taking him back to Kenya where he was abducted and, and forcibly admission to Nigeria. So, and he proceeded to award 500 million naira on account of evidence for Mazen Nandikam. Can the Nigerian government appeal this ruling and what is the possibility that Nandi Kanu will get the reward that the court ordered? Section 2 sub 3 f of the Federal Provision Amendment and Provision Act of Nigeria 2022 made it a crime to violate international laws and conventions which Nigerian states is set So these are examples Nigerian violated in the course of possible abduction and the mission of Nandekano to Nigeria. The court said no, that laws are meant to be obeyed, like Extradition Act of 204 and also AU Convention on Combating and Prevention of Terrorism Offenses and also Article 24 of the African Chapter of Human and People's Rights. And Nigerian government violated these laws with impunity. And the court said no, it can't happen. Why you enter into convention? Nandi Kanu and his uh, indigenous people of Biafra movement, the IPOB, are considered by the federal government as a terrorist group. 
And I'm sure some members beside Nadi Kanu are in prison. Did the court address that? What is the fit of the other members of the IPOC? Well, the issue of status of um, IPOB is subjudice. It's a matter before the Court of Appeal now. What does this ruling mean in terms of the independence of the Nigerian court system? We refer to be by the prior high court to my United States, Nigeria. It's simply a demonstration of the fact that Nigerian state has presently constituted today and those on hands of affairs, they have no respect for rule of law. It's also a demonstration of the fact that Nigerian state also committed offense of terrorism in the manner in which they did not have them become a failure and consequently external emissions into Nigeria. It gave violation of international laws with the state attitude. It's also a demonstration of the fact that it is time for the United Nations, United States, foreign governmental institutions like UK, France, to ensure that they prevent the Nigerian government to obey their own court order. So we are calling on the responsible foreign government to get involved to prevail on undemocratic, autocratic government of Nigeria to respect their own law, to respect their own court, and consequently using Namdekan, who has small medical challenges. It means that Namdekan is being held without any force of law, is being held illegally, is being held unconstitutionally, is being held in further gross violation of his rights. So we're calling on the international community. We are calling on the international We are calling on the European Union. We are calling on the United States of America. We are calling on France. We are calling on world superpowers. So immediately intervene to ensure that Namikan is released unconditionally and now. Efianyi Ejiofo is the lawyer for Namdi Kanu, the leader of the indigenous people of Biafra. He was speaking with us from Abuja, Nigeria. Kenya and Spain yesterday Wednesday agreed to increase bilateral and multilateral cooperation, speaking during a meeting with the Prime Minister of Spain, Pedro Sanchez, at the Kenyan State House in Nairobi. Kenya's President William Ruto urged Spanish investors to take advantage of business opportunities in Kenya. Marine Ojiambo reports. This is the first visit to Kenya by the head of government of Spain since the establishment of diplomatic relations between the two countries 57 years ago. Speaking in Nairobi, Kenya's President William Ruto welcomed the interest of Spanish companies in various sectors including tourism, agriculture, infrastructure, water management and renewable energy. Ruto says the two countries have agreed to develop a permanent dialogue building on common principles and shared values. Kenya is going to be a dependable ally for Spain in especially the endeavor to reach out to our continent. Kenya will be the gateway and we will work together so that Spain can find its way into our continent and we can grow those relations on the basis of mutual respect and ensuring that we leverage the economic opportunities that come to our market. During the meeting, the Memorandum of Understanding was signed in the areas of trade, health and education. Spain Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez said that Africa remains a priority for Spain's foreign policy. We have many areas where we can work together and strengthening our bilateral cooperation. I was, I was telling the President Ruto that normally in Africa, Spain is well known by its national soccer teams, which is fine. We, we love that. But I think that Spain is also a potential ally on many fields, areas that we can work together in order to face the common challenges that our societies are suffering. 
The two heads of state expressed concern over the global food crisis caused by the ongoing drought, saying they welcome the UN's Black Sea Grain Initiative aimed at addressing the global food crisis. The two countries committed to a rules-based international and multilateral order and to the purposes and the principles enshrined in the Charter of the United Nations. President Ruto says Kenya continues to be a responsible player on the global stage and supports efforts to end the war in Ukraine. Spain and Kenya hold the same position on matters to do with Ukraine, and we believe that uh, the internationally recognized instruments that calls for the respect of boundaries of countries is the bare minimum that... uh, any uh, nation uh, should live by. The issues around Ukraine should be resolved in the earliest time possible because in the midst of climate change, the least we need is a war in between. Kenya and Spain expressed their support for the UN's efforts dealing with global challenges and threats following the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the commitment to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and to the program called Agenda 2030. The two states are also committed in working together in the fight against terrorism, saying it is the main cause of the instability and insecurity in the world. Reporting for viewers, Daybreak Africa, I am Maureen Ujumbo in Nairobi, Kenya. In Sudan, a doctor's group says one protester was killed during demonstrations marking one year of military rule as security forces used tear gas on the crowds. Since Army Chief Abdel Fattah al-Buran seized power, Sudan has seen nearly weekly anti-coup rallies and crackdowns by security that have left at least 117 protesters dead. As Michael Atit reports from Khartoum, authorities blocked internet access on Tuesday. Sudanese called for democracy on the streets across the country Tuesday as thousands protested on the anniversary of a military coup under yet another internet blackout. The Central Committee of Sudan doctors said one protester was killed in Omdurman, a city across the Nile River from Khartoum, after being hit by a security tank and three others were wounded. The committee said the death toll in the last year of protest stood at 119. In the capital, Khartoum, scores of youth marched towards the presidential palace listening to revolutionary songs and poems. Police used tear gas and water truck to disperse them as they tried to enter the presidential palace. Protester Abdul Halim Sheikh says life under military rule has crippled Sudan's development. He says the situation in the country has deteriorated, including the economy, health and education. Sudan lost a lot of money from the International Monetary Fund, notes a sheikh. He says since the military coup last year, they have been going backward. Sudan was to receive nearly 50 billion in debt relief from Western creditors and billions more in funding. But the U.S., the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund and other lenders suspended those plans after last year's October coup. Sudan's military leader Abdul Fattah al-Burhan took power from the transitional shared power government headed by former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok. Hamdok was detained along with other civilian ministers. They were released after Hamdok signed a political agreement with the military in November. He resigned in January. Protester Ahmad Abdul Wahab says he is still hopeful that democratic change will come to Sudan. 
He says Sudan was promised a democratic transition and they are hopeful that God is going to support them. We need to see development in our country, says Abdul Wahab, and we should complete what our former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok started. The coup sparked regular protests against military rule that saw the internet cut off and security forces cracking down hard on demonstrators. Human Rights Watch released a statement on the anniversary day calling on Sudan's military leaders to respect peaceful protests and restore democratic rule. Muhammad Osman is a Sudan researcher at Human Rights Watch. He says security forces have committed a range of abuses from killings to arbitrary detentions of hundreds of people. Sudanese police authorities issued a statement Tuesday night accusing some protesters of being armed but providing no evidence. United Nations independent rights expert on Tuesday called for justice for protesters against the coup. They say unlawful tactics by security forces had left at least 117 protesters killed and an estimated 7,700, including thousands of children, seriously injured. Michael Latit for VOA News, Khartoum, Sudan. listening to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Botty in Washington. Today is Thursday, October 27th. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Burkina Faso is recruiting 50,000 civilian volunteers to help fight Islamic extremists. According to the French press agency AFP, Colonel Bukhari Zungrana, the Minister of Territorial Administration, the civilian volunteers will protect the population and belongings of their districts alongside security forces. The wire service says the volunteers for the defense of the nation were established two years ago and usually receive two weeks of training. AFP says the military is also planning to hire several thousand more soldiers. Extremists killed 10 soldiers in an attack Monday in the northern city of Jibo. Botswana says it wants to show its neighbors that it takes seriously the fight against foot and mouth disease, which affects the country's beef exports to the lucrative European market. The latest outbreak, which will see Botswana culled more than 10,000 cattle, was detected near the country's border with Zimbabwe. From Haberuni, Botswana, reporter Nkundisi Dube has the details. President Mukwezi Masisi says he has engaged his Zimbabwean counterpart, President Emerson Mnangagwa, on the outbreak of foot and mouth along the country's common borders. Speaking during the National Agricultural Show Sunday, Masisi said Botswana wants to help Zimbabwe and other neighboring countries blunt the spread of the virus. I want to inform you that I have met with my counterpart in Zimbabwe to come up with a strategy to combat the foot and mouth disease in the northeastern parts of Botswana. Oh. However, a long-term strategy is being developed that will only assist Botswana to combat, that will not only assist Botswana to combat mouth disease, but will also benefit the whole region. Masisi says frequent foot and mouth outbreaks hit the country's economy with occasional bans on beef exports, particularly to European nations. The world is better wake up and know that when it comes to foot and mouth, this country and its government means business. And I can as well let you know that I've extended offerings to all our neighbors 
to provide all the technical support necessary to eradicate cottonmouth in the region. With infected cattle due to be culled, farmers in the affected zones like Andrew Cielizo want the government to offset their loss. Bozana is a major beef exporter and sells more than 10,000 tons to European nations under a duty and quota-free arrangement. Reuters says according to central bank statistics, export earnings drop from 130 million in 2010 to 20 million in 2020 due to foot and mouth disease. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Habroni, Bozana. It is 12 more days before Americans go to the polls in midterm elections on November 8. The outcome will determine which party, Republican or Democrat, will control the House of Representatives and the Senate. There are also candidates, including of American descent, running for state governorship and local offices. Two years ago, Nequita Riggs of Liberian descent was elected as Colorado State Representative for District 40. Now she's running for re-election. Rick says the U.S. midterm election system allows incumbent candidates to showcase what they have done for their constituents during their two-year terms. She tells me she has been campaigning almost nonstop, explaining to her constituents why they should return her to office. The campaign's going well. Um, the ballots came out last Monday. So right now we're in what we call GOTV efforts, which is get out the vote. So it's between now and November 8th, that's what we're going to be doing, getting out the vote. I'm on my way now to go and do some robocalls to remind people that their ballots are there asking for their votes. I'm also going to be doing what we call voice mail drops and then sending out a lot of digital ads and text messages. So it's all about connecting with voters and asking them to remember to turn in their ballots. How would you describe your first two years in office? My first year were very successful. I've passed over 19 bills total, a lot of great bills around mental health, the towing industry. I did work on accountability and transparency for homeowners associations in Colorado. I did work around teacher diversity. I've done lots of great bills. I want to continue to do the work that I started for the people of Colorado. Colorado is facing some challenges around affordability. Affordable housing is a huge issue here in Colorado, and we need to ensure that people who make minimum wage or who are low or medium wage earners can still own a house, can still rent an apartment, and the cost has just gotten more and more exorbitant. Safety, there's been a rising crime within Colorado and around the United States. So we need to ensure that the police officers have what they need as far as mental health. We need to help them with recruiting, training, so that there's trust between our community and law enforcement. And so there's so much work here. Uh, so all of those challenges need lots of different voices and diverse voices. And I want to be able to continue to help the people of Colorado and make it a more just and a great place for our family. Nikita, some people elsewhere around the world may not understand what is the importance of this type of democracy compared to other places where you say, for example, it's good to serve as long as possible, maybe five years or four years. That way you have a chance to do good work for the people instead of two years. 
talk to our listeners in terms of the benefit or the lack of benefit in this. Because I run every two years, I get to run four terms so I can serve up to eight years in the Colorado State House. The difference is that within those two years, I need to deliver for my community. I need to deliver for the people of Colorado. And they get to see my record after two years. And so it's a check and balance in a sense. Like there's some places where maybe if you're in the Senate, you might serve for nine years. That's a long time, almost a decade. And what if that person gets in there and they do nothing? They don't pass any bills. They're not really uh, doing anything that's progressive or making changes or making their community or the economy better. And there's no check and balance to get them out. So I think, you know, although it's rough running for a campaign every two years, I mean, the two years went by so quickly, but I do think that this gives a uh, check and balance in the system so that my voters can say, well, we want to reelect Nikita, we like what she's doing, or no, we don't like her, let's change her and put somebody else in there. Nikita, thank you so much again, and good luck. Thank you, James. Thank you so much. Nakwita Riggs is a Liberian descent candidate who is running for re-election as a state representative in the U.S. state of Colorado. She was speaking with us from the town of Aurora. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is convening its first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the African Business Center on this initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates in 50 countries in Africa, the top 10 finalists have been decided. And for the next two weeks, we'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we hear from Felix Macharia of Kenya. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. I'm Felix Masharia, CEO and co-founder at Kotanipe. I'm 29 years old. I come from Kenya. We were especially attracted to the competition because of its themes. So it was looking to attract SMEs and startups that are building cross-border, interoperable, and cross-domain solutions. Our team is very much focused on creating social impact uh, in Africa, and it was nice to be not only recognized, but given a chance to present our work uh, to the global community. Kotanipe um, is a technology stack that connects blockchain protocols to local payment channels. In essence, what we do is we bring the benefits of blockchain technology um, to the local populace in uh, Kenya, Ghana, and slowly um, expanding to other African countries. We have already started seeing some of this impact through um, the use cases that we have enabled through our technology. Um, In the case of financial inclusion, It's now possible for small businesses on the continent to receive lending from decentralized finance uh, pools that are global in nature. 
and they receive this lending at lower rates than what they would ideally get in Kenya. Um, universal basic income programs focused on um, absolute or extreme poverty communities like refugees. And finally, even climate resilience uh, use cases. Uh, we have enabled uh, parametric um, weather insurance um, coverage for farmers in, in Africa. I think we'll want to use this platform um, to make it very clear that uh, blockchain has benefits that move just beyond speculation. So it's quite possible to use the technology uh, to have a positive impact on people's lives. We'll use uh, this platform to communicate um, you know, some of the possibilities of the technology uh, for use cases, uh, from financial inclusion all the way to climate uh, resilience. That was Felix Macharia of Kenya, one of the 10 finalists in the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. The contest is sponsored by the U.S. African Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And that's it for this Thursday, October 27th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for being our guest this morning. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton in Washington.